This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. French President Emmanuel Macron met with Russian President Vladimir Putin when Macron reportedly floated several proposals, including Russia removing 30,000 troops in Belarus by the end of the month. Putin said it's too early to say what would happen. U.S. diplomats are reiterating Moscow still has a choice. We've made clear there are two paths available here. Jeff Prescott is deputy to the U.S. ambassador at the U.N. There's the path of conflict and confrontation. There's also a path available for diplomacy. Prescott says the U.S. is being realistic about the situation. We've also gotten ourselves prepared along with our allies for either uh, eventuality. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. It's hard to know what Russia's planning when it comes to Ukraine. It says one thing and does another. The U.S. and its allies are trying to persuade Russia not to invade. But at the same time, they're using one of Russia's own tactics against it to try to stop an invasion. That tactic is called information warfare. To try to prevent or deny Russia the opportunity to use lies or disinformation to justify an invasion, to essentially claim that Ukraine started it. Jeff Prescott is deputy to U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Russia's so-called information operations, he says, are not new. It's straight out of a playbook that we've seen seen before. Dating back to the Cold War. We've seen uh, these kinds of operations in the past disinformation. And despite diplomatic overtures, the U.S. and its allies are prepared for more in the future. Still, diplomacy is a key tool in the U.S.'s toolbox when it comes to dealing with Russia. We spoke with Jeff Prescott, the deputy to Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. The first question set the scene right now. Well, right now we see a very significant uh, threat. The uh, uh, Russia has put you know, more than 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. Uh, They have uh, specialized capabilities available. We think there's a very distinct possibility that President Putin will order an attack on Ukraine, further invade Ukraine. We know that that could take a number of different forms. We know it could happen at any time. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen in a few weeks. Uh, They've continued to surge uh, troops and equipments to the border equipment to the borders of Ukraine and really put themselves in a position where they could uh, invade at any time. So that's why we see this as a very serious situation. Now, we've made clear uh, there are two paths available here. There's the path of uh, conflict and confrontation. Uh, Russia very well could take the decision to uh, further invade Ukraine. There's also a path available for diplomacy. Uh, and you've seen that work on a number of levels. Obviously, the German chancellor is here in, in, in Washington this week. 
Uh, you've had the president uh, uh, on the phone with uh, European leaders, including President Macron yesterday, who's also engaging with Russia. You've seen very high-level diplomacy, more than 200 senior-level meetings uh, across the U.S. government with counterparts in Europe, in Ukraine, uh, in the OSCE and other uh, European security institutions, and of course up in the UN. And just last week uh, on Monday, uh, the United States called for an open meeting in the UN Security Council to uh, address uh, this buildup of Russian forces on Ukraine and the very clear threat to international peace and security that that uh, buildup represents. And you had uh, the vast majority of the um, uh, UN Security Council, the world's powers, coming together uh, to talk about that threat, but also to make clear uh, the international consensus around choosing a path of diplomacy rather than a path of war. The Russian side at that meeting seemed to be um, uh, antagonized uh, and, and tried to block that meeting. They were unsuccessful, obviously. It took place, and M Ambassador Thomas Greenfield called them out for what they were doing, which is what you just explained. We haven't seen much change since then. Um, that's just publicly. Has anything changed that we don't know about? Well, the council meeting last week we saw as a very important moment to put a spotlight on what Rutt Russia is doing on what we're seeing. And Ambassador Thomas Greenfield laid out some of the declassified intelligence that we've uh, of what we're actually seeing on the ground, including the buildup, the very alarming buildup of forces uh, in Belarus, which we understand could could uh, continue to surge to more than 30,000 uh, Russian forces there, uh, poised uh, potentially uh, to uh, threaten uh, Ukraine's capital. It's because of this alarming buildup and the surge of forces, including more than 2,000 rail cars that we've seen flowing forces uh, from across Russia uh, to the Ukrainian border, uh, that we called this session and called out uh, what Russia is doing. But we also wanted uh, to make clear and have the international community make clear that there is a path of diplomacy available here. So we don't know exactly what Russia is going to choose to do. Uh, what we do know is that we've offered out a very clear path of diplomacy, uh, and we've also gotten ourselves prepared along with our allies for either uh, eventuality. Um, and so we're ready uh, one way or the other, and we've made clear with our allies that if Russia does uh, further invade Ukraine, there will be a swift and severe response, a unified response. And that's what the diplomacy has been all about behind closed doors. And we've also laid out for Russia a very clear path to address some of the concerns that they've raised in terms of their security, the concerns that we have and that Europe, our European allies have in terms of our security, uh, and the concerns that Ukraine has about their sovereignty and their security. Uh, and we've laid all of that out uh, for Russia as well. So there's a very clear diplomatic path, and we're also prepared with our allies uh, were uh, Russia to choose the other path. Mr. Prescott, as someone who's covered the United Nations for close to 30 years and the international um, incidents and situations, uh, activities, elements, all of the parts of the UN mission that um, it, it was set up for. Um, one of the things that's been consistent over that time, at least in the last decade or two, are people who have been asking questions about whether the UN is effective in doing what it does. I'm not saying that's my opinion. My my view is as a journalist just to ask these questions. You've did you've done this 
you've had these meetings, you've told Russia about this diplomatic opportunity, and they do what they continue to do and have done for years. Uh, and then there's this issue with China. Over the weekend or the last few days, China seeming to side with Russia, uh, and they routinely have blocked many things, humanitarian activities or interest of the U.N., China, I'm talking about. Uh, they seem to have put themselves, gotten together to try to undermine the work of the U.N. So can the, can the U.N. actually make a difference in this case? Well, you put your finger on a number of very important issues, and I, I think we should we should kind of take them up uh, uh, one by one. Uh, there's no question that the UN Security Council, in particular, uh, is designed to play uh, the premier role in addressing issues of international peace and security. Precisely the kind of issues that we were debating last week. Uh, when it comes to Russia's buildup of forces in Ukraine. Uh, but it's also uh, true that it's the place where the world's powers come together uh, to debate and hash out these issues. And uh, by nature of the different countries arrayed around the table, including, uh, as you say, Russia and China, uh, we're obviously not always going to agree. Uh, and we're not going to um, uh, uh, change our position uh, 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 just because there is that disagreement. So what we uh, have used uh, as part of our diplomatic uh, toolkit, uh, we have the opportunity to go to the Security Council, not just after a crisis has begun, but also in a preventive way uh, to call the world's uh, powers together uh, and to ask some tough questions and uh, to do so uh, at times behind closed doors, but at times in an open uh, open forum, which is what you saw last week. And so Russia really was put on the spot. They had to, uh, first of all, they tried to block the meeting, as you said, uh, they were unsuccessful in doing that and then had to answer some questions about, you know, why do they have 100,000 forces arrayed on Ukraine's border? What are their intentions? And what about the fundamental uh, uh, building blocks of international security that the UN Charter and the UN fundamental principles represent, which is territorial integrity, uh, sovereignty of each nation, the idea that you can't um, change borders of a country by force. Now, just because those principles are there, they're in the UN Charter, every country has signed up to uphold them, does not mean that the UN uh, uh, can enforce those principles uh, directly, but it is a forum where we can come together uh, and argue uh, and point out the facts, lay out the facts, uh, and let the world uh, know what's going on. And that's exactly what we were doing last week. Now, that's just one uh, uh, tool that we have in our diplomatic toolkit. You also see us talking directly to Russian uh, officials, including the president with President Putin when it's appropriate. You also see us working very closely with our European allies with our NATO allies in the NATO construct, in the OSCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. You also see us working uh, essentially in any diplomatic venue available, including the, the ones where Ukraine can talk directly to their uh, Russian counterparts through the Minsk process and the Normandy format. All of these uh, different mechanisms are designed to open up a path uh, of diplomacy uh, and to try to avoid a confrontation. But we're also working uh, bilaterally and, and multilaterally with our allies to make sure that we're prepared were Russia to uh, further invade Ukraine, uh, despite all of this diplomatic activity. Uh, we're ready for that as well. I've spoken with, uh, as recently as today, the head of NATO in Estonia uh, and with top diplomats and officials in other countries over the last nine days. Uh, and there is 
legitimate concern, not saying any country in particular, Latvia, Lithuania, or Poland have expressed fear to me, but I'm saying there is legitimate fear in that part of the world that this situation could get out of hand, even out of even out of Vladimir Putin's hands. I mean, there are those that have told me that he's looking for a way out of this. Do you buy that? Well, I think there certainly is a way out available. Uh, I can't uh, pretend to get into President Putin's mind and understand why he ordered this uh, dramatic uh, buildup in the first place, why he seems to have put into place uh, the forces necessary for a significant invasion of, of Ukraine, were he to choose to do that. Uh, we have been working over the last few weeks to lay out exactly that off-ramp, uh, to uh, identify a set of uh, security concerns that Russia says that they're uh, focused on, uh, lay out some concerns that we have, uh, and uh, propose a serious diplomatic conversation to address those concerns. Uh, you've seen that um, there's a paper uh, that the United States put together in consultation with our allies that lay out some of those topics and some of the issues that we're willing to engage on in a serious way. So there really is a path here uh, for a diplomatic uh, approach. Uh, but uh, it's also hard to ignore uh, the fact that troops continue to flow to the border of Ukraine, that we've seen uh, the kind of forces available that would allow uh, a very significant invasion uh, of Ukraine were Russia to choose to do so, and that it could happen at any time. And that's why we're also clearly preparing with our allies for that eventuality. Now, there's no question that part of that preparation is making sure that uh, our NATO allies are fully protected. Uh, we have a sacred obligation under Article 5 of the NATO uh, agreement to um, protect uh, and defend uh, all of our NATO allies. Uh, and that's why you saw the president um, uh, making some changes in our force posture in Europe, uh, working with our allies to uh, bolster those defenses, uh, particularly for those Eastern flank uh, frontline uh, states uh, that are uh, a particular uh, concern. So we're doing that in very close consultation with our NATO allies. There's a full set of contingencies available were Russia to further invade Ukraine in ways in which we'll have to think about and further protect uh, our NATO allies from uh, any threats that they may face. You know, um, one of the things you talked about a little bit earlier on was this, this, this intelligence or this, this understanding and of this movement of troops and and forces, Russian forces and troops. And you talked about a train, seeing trains moving uh, resources, military resources across Belarus to to position them, uh, and back to my my question a little earlier about I didn't really go into this question, it kind of pivoted away to, did you buy whether or not um, Putin was looking for an off-ramp? But the second part of that, uh, or the earlier part of that, was there are people in, in, in Eastern Europe that are legitimately afraid that what's taken place here, because of what you've said, you know, we've seen this evidence, trains moving, equipment, troops moving, I mean, from as far away as 11 time zones moving towards Ukraine's border. Um, in the world of terrorism, which is something else that I cover, it's pretty clear that you don't have to launch an attack to just like just to, to instill fear in a population. How is the U.N. going to deal with this 
this this this fear now that maybe this this will happen to us later on uh if even if russia doesn't invade ukraine well, there's definitely um, a reason to be concerned, which is part of why we've been trying to put out as much information as we have uh, about what we're seeing, um, including declassifying uh, intelligence uh, as much as possible. Of course, there's always a fine line between protecting uh, sources and, and methods, but also uh, making sure that the public, uh, that uh, our partner countries uh, have real-time information about what we're seeing and the threats uh, that are out there. Part of that has been the Russian buildup uh, on Ukraine's border, as we've talked about. Uh, part of that has also been uh, the information that we've uh, gathered over the last several months uh, that suggests Russia is preparing for not only an invasion of Ukraine, but to also use a false pretext to justify an attack. Um, and that's evidence that we've also tried to make public over the last week as it's come available to try to prevent or deny Russia the opportunity to use lies or disinformation to justify an invasion, to essentially claim that Ukraine started it uh, and uh, therefore uh, they're responding. It's straight out of a playbook that we've seen seen before. JJ, you've done a lot of reporting on Russia's uh, efforts in this, re this regard uh, over the past number of years. We're trying to avoid uh, a war here, uh, and we've seen uh, these kinds of operations in the past, disinformation, kind of false flag operations, sowing confusion uh, in order to justify military action. Uh, and we saw some of that in 2014 against Ukraine as well. So Ukraine uh, understands these methods, understands this playbook. We do as well. And that's part of why we've been talking so much about these plots, uh, both to uh, let people know, uh, to try, kind of sound the warning bell, but also make it harder uh, for Russia to execute uh, these kinds of plays. How, do, how does this help the other countries, though, in Eastern Europe that, that fear they may be next? Well, part of it is getting ready. And so what we've been doing with our uh, closest allies is coordinating very closely to make sure that if Russia goes down this path, again, we would prefer to have a diplomatic outcome. We've offered up a very clear and credible diplomatic pathway here. Uh, but if Russia decides to further invade Ukraine, we have a very full, uh, swift, severe, and unified response that we're prepared to execute. And we've been working very closely with our allies, including these frontline states, to understand what they should be on the lookout for, uh, to understand uh, what we will all need to collectively do to respond, and to make sure that Russia pays a price, both uh, economically, in terms of diplomatic isolation, uh, uh, and of course, uh, we've continued to uh, give Ukraine uh, uh, defensive military assistance, lethal assistance, uh, over the last uh, number of weeks and months, uh, you know, almost uh, more than half a billion dollars over the past year, along with our allies, uh, helping them uh, prepare to the defend themselves as well. So there's a full spectrum response here uh, that we've been able to work on because we've had the kind of information and intelligence that we can share with our allies uh, and both uh, uh, give them a sense of uh, how important uh, this uh, is to focus on, but also collectively roll up our sleeves and begin to put that uh, game plan together. We see what you show us. I mean, in some cases, we get lucky and get a source with uh, some credibility to, to share something that you may not have shared already, but you've declassified a bunch of stuff. And I might add, some of that material has made it into the hands of larger 
media outlets, but hasn't trickled down to the rest of us. So we've kind of gotten it second and third hand. It would be good <clears throat> if we could figure out a way to get some of that at the same time these other folks do. But the, the thing that I'm getting at here is, um, so we know what we know, however means we use to get it or is provided to us, but there has to be a lot more going on that we don't know about. And I want to ask you without putting you on the spot and asking you to reveal things you can't and shouldn't, but um, can you give us a sense of what it is we don't know about, uh, what it is we should be thinking about that we're not talking about because news is not what people are talking about around the water cooler. It's what we don't know about. It's our job to find out. So are there things that we should be paying attention to as we look at this situation that we're not? Well, it's a great question. And obviously, um, you know, I'm constrained in the level of detail that I can go into. What I would say is that we've really uh, tried to, uh, consistent with protecting uh, sensitive sources and, and of course, protecting uh, the ways in which we gather intelligence around the world, we've really tried to make as much available to the public as possible uh, because we do know that there's value in exposing what we're seeing, the kinds of operations that we think uh, Russia is uh, putting together uh, and using it as deterrence to try to persuade Russia from not taking that path. So uh, that's it's a very important aspect of what we're doing. We've been able to do some of this with our closest allies behind closed doors to give them more information, uh, compare notes, because frankly, a lot of our allies are gathering some of the same information. I think one of the reasons why what we're seeing on the border of Ukraine is so credible is not just the information that we've been putting out, but the fact that so many news organizations and, and uh, fine reporters across the board have been able to confirm this uh, using their own sources. And so we see this uh, happening in real time and the kind of warnings that we've been, uh, we've been posing to the public, we're beginning to see uh, as Russia puts this potential invasion force together, uh, those uh, uh, kind of pieces uh, uh, come together uh, in exactly the way that we've been we've been uh, predicting. Um, and that's why that's been very helpful, I think, uh, in focusing uh, ourselves and our allies around both uh, preparing for this possibility, uh, but also uh, laying out a very credible diplomatic off-ramp uh, should Russia choose to choose to take it. Are there some things that are in plain view, though, that we should be looking at? Well, I guess on this, I would just say um, I've seen a number of uh, news reports uh, in major uh, publications, um, and I know you've done some reporting on this as well. You know, there's both a history here. We've seen a play. We've seen this playbook before, uh, and, and obviously, Ukraine has uh, felt this now for a number of years, going back to uh, the original Russian invasion in 2014. So. Uh, there's some of this that you can verify by looking at the past. We've seen a playbook like this before, and we, we're, we're sort of calling it out as we see some of these pieces come together. Uh, but we've also seen uh, a lot of what we have been saying uh, verified uh, by news organizations uh, and by other countries around the world. And so I would, I would urge those who are uh, interested in and worried about uh, this issue to continue to uh, uh, look for those credible news sources and uh, to kind of follow this uh, story as it develops. I, I would say what we're focused on kind of day in and day out is both uh, understanding changes on the ground, what's happening, but also uh, laser focused on sharpening this uh, key uh, choice, these two paths that Russia has available to it. Uh, obviously, this path uh, of confrontation, which, uh, as I've said, could come at any time. Uh, but also uh, to really lay out a credible diplomatic path, uh, an off-ramp, if you will, 
that Russia could take uh, uh, in order to resolve this uh, peacefully and address very real security concerns that they say that they have uh, and that we know that we have. Uh, so that's what we're focused on kind of day in and day out here. Well, Jeff, thank you for your time. Um, anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? Well, look, I know um, you're going to be staying on this story. Um, you know, I do think that um, the diplomatic engagements over the next few weeks, there's a kind of choreography that you're seeing um, uh, where um, you see regular calls between the president and, and our closest allies in Europe, with the French, the Germans, uh, with uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, with the European Union. Um, we're uh, doing all of this, uh, including uh, uh, far-flung allies all over the world. Everyone is focused on this issue um, and focused on the enormous consequences that a Russian invasion could have, not just for Europe, uh, but for these fundamental principles at the United Nations that we started this conversation talking about, about uh, changing borders by force or territorial integrity and sovereignty. Uh, and I think there are gonna be some hard questions for other countries, including China, uh, if they uh, sort of stand by uh, and allow this invasion uh, uh, to take place. So that's part of why we've spent time at the UN, at the Security Council, just making sure everyone's clear on the principles that are at stake here, uh, everyone's clear on the facts of what's happening, and that we're all prepared for a unified and swift and severe uh, international response uh, if Russia is to take this path. And just one quick follow We've been focused on what happens between now and the end of the Olympics, and some people may have the, the false idea that after the Olympics are over, uh, there might be an attack or maybe Russia might not be doing anything at all. But it seems to me it's pretty clear we don't know when or, or, or when this might happen. It could be tomorrow, as you say, or in November, right? That's exactly right. Uh, there's a very distinct possibility that Putin will order an attack here. Uh, we know that it could take a number of different forms. Um, it could look uh, uh, very differently depend, depending on the way that they decide to move forward. It could happen tomorrow. Uh, it could happen in a few weeks. It could happen right after the Olympics. Uh, there, there are a number of options available and they continue to search troops and equipment to the borders and to put themselves in a position where they really could invade at any time. But that's why we have been working so intensively with our allies and partners to unite them, to flow defensive support to Ukraine, uh, to reinforce uh, our allies on the Eastern flank, and to prepare this package of strong and severe economic measures that would be imposed in the event of Russian aggression, and to also lay out that alternative path of diplomacy. Uh, we don't have any reason to believe that President Putin has made a decision on whether or not to move forward, uh, but that's why we're working uh, to develop both this uh, path of deterrence that I've been laying out, but also a path of diplomacy. And we're ready either way. Mr. Prescott, thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. And please let Ambassador Thomas Greenfield know we appreciate what she's doing and uh, look forward at some point to engaging. Will do. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Russia's already attacked Ukraine with hybrid warfare we take a deep look inside their disinformation campaign. One of the things that I think is important to keep in mind is Russia has had essentially an active disinformation campaign going in Ukraine for the better part of a decade. Brett Schaefer is head of the information manipulation team at the Alliance for Securing Democracy. 
So you've seen these efforts to portray the Ukrainians as the aggressors, also to portray the United States and NATO as the aggressors, essentially saying that it is NATO and the U.S. that is pushing Russia to, towards war, not vice versa. One of the things that we've seen that is a little bit new in the last two months, though, has been this claim that Ukraine, with the assistance of the United States and NATO, may be plotting what's called a, what's referred to as a false flag operation. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm Martin Cove. You know me as Sensei John Kreese from Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid Trilogy, as well as Rambo and Six Years on Cagney and Lacey. I'm hosting a new podcast, Kicking It with the Coves, with my kids, Rachel and Jesse Cove. We're digging into the characters, roles, and unforgettable scenes that have made an impact on all of us. We'll be joined by actors, producers, writers, and other members of the incredible teams who've helped create the programs we all love to watch. We'll dive into character development, behind the scenes, antics, personal stories, and so much more. And the impact it's all had on the lives of our guests, their families, and the fans. So, listen to and follow Kiki with the Coves, now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podcast One. Do you have a problem with that? No, No, Sensei! sensei. I mean, Dad. Now. Stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.